Sunday morning, the 29th. Can you believe October's almost over? Is it 29th, 20th? 30th. 30th. Oh, it's the 30th. Okay. The 30th. I cannot get over it. But October's gone. Who, who would have thought it? We're still on um, uh, Genesis, and um, now we're up to the flood itself. We've talked about everything leading up to the flood, and... Um, now we're ready to get on the boat. So go to Genesis chapter 7. Oh, I didn't do that. Did I? Here they are. I just cleaned them out and wrote the checks this week. So we're starting again. God, guys, we you know, this class is not huge, but... We just bless. I cannot tell you. You know, we have consistently had between 100 and 130 dollars a month for both for each of these. That's a lot of money to come out of this class. Isn't that awesome? And um, so we're just, you know, we're doing good things. God will keep blessing us back. He will. But I just want you to know that. Okay, um, we're going to start in Genesis seven now. We're going to read the 11th verse and then we're going to go down to 17 through 24. Um, okay. Oh, verse 11. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the windows of heaven opened. And the rain was upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, in the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wives and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. Okay, now go, go down to um, verse 17. And the flood was 40 days on the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark. And it was lifted above the earth, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly on the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Okay. Um, now the next few verses are kind of odd, but we're gonna we'll talk about them in a minute. Um Fifteen cubits upwards did the water prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man. All in whose nostrils was breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and creeping things, and the fowls of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Okay. In most stories, especially kids' stories, you think, okay, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if you just think about that practically, any place in the world in a tropical area, they have monsoon season. And it rains 40 days and 40 nights. And yet, there's not a flood that covers the whole earth. So 40 days and nights of rain is not going to do it. 
it, it would never be able to cover the earth. And if you look at Genesis, in, go back to Genesis 1 real quick. And Genesis 2, we've talked about this before, but um, Genesis 1 verse 7. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And then skip over to Genesis chapter 2. Start with verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So he hadn't caused it to rain, but a mist went up. So the picture here, and, and um, Christian scientists, um, creation scientists, will tell you that the earth was more than likely a biosphere. That the word firmament literally means latticework. The picture is um, either latticework or a thin metal that's been pounded out very thin. And God used this latticework or whatever the substance was that God used to separate waters under the firmament from waters above the firmament. So at some point there was water above the atmosphere, above the, the firmament. And then there were waters in the earth. And then out of the waters in the earth, he drew the waters back and the, and the dry ground appeared. But there was a firmament and above the firmament was water, which would make a giant biosphere. It would, I'm almost like that hyperbaric chamber, it would increase the, um, the, uh, that the oxygen in the air, it would increase the pressure, the, the barometric <coughs> pressure there so that it would be oxygen rich in that environment. So no wonder you would have huge ferns and huge everything. And, and um, so from, from that you learn how the earth had been watered to this point. And now <clears throat> God's going to cause it to rain on the earth. Well, rain's not going to do it. It just won't. So something else has to be happening in order for it to work. So if you go back up to verse 11 in chapter 7, go back up to verse 11, you find the secrets. Um, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So aside from just rain, the lattice work, because that word windows of heaven is the same as the word firmament in chapter 1. The lattice work or whatever the barrier was that held the waters above the earth was, and the word there where it says were opened is, is the word that literally means ripped 
open. In the Hebrew, that whole phrase would be Mayanah Ram Tehom Baka. And it means the firmament was ripped open. Not just, you know, a window cracked, but literally the whole sky was ripped wide open. Now you're talking earthwide flood. All the waters above that firmament fell in on the earth almost instantaneously and continued to fall. And not only that, but all the springs and the rivers under the earth began to erupt like geysers and just blow up through the ground so that the waters under the earth were ripped open and the waters were gushing out and the firmament fell in. Um, it's really interesting when you read creation science and you begin to kind of study some of that out. But a lot of those scientists believe that it's at that point the Earth's axis actually tilted. And um, that when the... Um, <coughs> excuse me. That the north axis tilted away from the sun slightly. And when that happened, all the water that fell in instantly became snow, ice. And um, what they're finding is, on the North Pole anyway, and even in northern Russia, you know, up above Siberia, up in the Arctic Circle up there, they're digging down hundreds of feet into the ice. They have found woolly mammoths standing straight up as if they were caught in a, a cataclysmic way. Animals standing straight up all over the place. Animals that you normally would not find on the North Pole, you know. But there they were, grazing away. They have found <clears throat> nests with eggs and um, seeds, plants. And uh, the Russians have been taken, have taken the seed from these plants and planted them and have raised flowers and things. I've seen them. Um, the articles are just fascinating when you begin to read about it. But it speaks to a cataclysmic event that caught animal life and plant life off guard. So everything is perfectly preserved, standing up almost as if instantaneously um, frozen in ice. So, um, and there's no explanation for that. You know, you mean they, they might get caught, they might fall over. You could understand if it was a slow slog, there was no food, they could lay down and die. But to be caught standing straight up and perfectly preserved in ice a hundred feet down, you know, you, you, can't, you can't explain that away in any normal fashion. Now, whether or not that happened, I don't know, but that's just one scientific theory about it, which is pretty interesting when you, you know, when you think about it. But um, this was such a cataclysmic event. It says the waters prevailed on the earth. Such a nice word. But the word prevailed is the word gobar mahad, and it literally means fury and violence. So for at least 40, no, for 150 days, the waters were full of fury and violence in the earth. It was a violent ride. I cannot imagine the seasickness that Noah and his family might have experienced inside that ark. 
But um, I wish I had my phone with me. My sister-in-law sent me some pictures of the ark in, in Kentucky. But it's just, it is unbelievable to see the pictures of it. Um, so she was, she was there. Yes, they went. And um, she said it just blew them out of the water. Just blew them out of the water. Just sitting out in the field all by itself. About 45 minutes south of the Creation Museum. It isn't right outside the Creation Museum. But it's just sitting there all by itself. This big, huge boat. Which you imagine must have been what it looked like for Noah. Building this big, huge boat on dry land like that. Out from nowhere. I mean, it must have looked pretty bizarre. But, um, anyway. Um, and Noah would have been building... You know, a little bit over toward Mesopotamia, not not in Israel. He would have been over Mesopotamia way, somewhere in that area. But um, oh my gosh, to think about the fury of this water. Now these funky little verses, twenty through twenty-three. Um, go back to those, and and I'll tell you what the the Jewish scholars say about this. Fifteen cubits upwards did the water prevail and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved upon the earth both of fowl and of cattle, of beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man all in whose nostrils was the breath of life all of all that was in the dry land died. Um, well... Just that um, that 15 cubits of water comes out to be about 30 feet. Well, 30 feet wouldn't begin to cover peaks like Mount Ararat. Come on. So what does that mean, um, 30 feet of water? Well, if you think about 30 feet of water <coughs> in those wide open plains, <coughs> and it's a worldwide flood where nobody could get to dry land and even if they got to a mountain there's no food or, or anything else for them <clears throat> 30 feet of water would have ensured that all life that had breath would have died and that it came down cataclysmically you know just boom water's gushing out of the heavens and exploding up from the ground Jewish scholars say that that 30 feet was enough to kill all human life. But it kept coming more than 40 days. We always think 40 days and 40 nights. But it kept coming. Um, <clears throat> and it's funny, there's not a culture there's not a culture around the globe that doesn't have a flood story. And then you think, well that's interesting, but then you go, well, no, they all descended from Noah. Every culture around the globe descended from Noah. No wonder they have a flood story. So the flood is not just a fairy tale. You know, it is lore, but it's, it's too prevalent to be anything but truth, you know, a worldwide flood. So, <clears throat> anyway, here we go. <clears throat> The waters prevailed. In other words, they were violent for 150 days. <clears throat> and at that point, at 150 days, things began to change. Now, in, in the Hebrew calendar, a month is about 30 days. 
It was an agrarian calendar. So it's about 30 days. They followed the moon, the lunar cycles. So that would have been, they would have been on that boat for five months. Not just 40 days. But five solid months, these waters raged and roared and were violent on the earth. Forceful and violent on the earth. Five solid months to be in that boat. And no windows open. I'm just saying, with all those animals. Um, my sister-in-law says they had a very unique way of taking care of, you know, human, uh, of waste material. And um, she said it's amazing when you look at the ark and how it, you know, how it would have functioned. But she said, yeah, they had a way of handling all of it. But I'm just saying it would have been rough, you know. Okay. So start with verse 1 and look at what God did. <clears throat> and God remembered Noah. That word remembered is a covenant word for, you know, God honored his covenant with Noah. And with every living thing. All the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. In other words, the waters quit rising. It wasn't that they began to drop, but the waters just quit rising. And also the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. So at 150 days, it stopped coming. There was no more water to come. And verse 3, And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. Now, we're going to look at this from a, a standpoint of, uh, of a timeline here in a minute. But I also want to show you some pretty cool numbers. Um, <clears throat> 40 is the number of trial and testing. So 40 days and nights of this rain and these clouds, I mean, and the firmament falling in and the, and the uh, fountains of the deep breaking up. 40 is the number of trial and testing, okay? <clears throat> they were on the boat for five months. And five is the number of what? Who remembers what that is? Five is the number of grace. So God remembered Noah. At the end of five months, grace prevailed. And the water stopped. Okay, the very exact dating for the waters to stop, just, you know, the rain to stop and the, and the flooding and the firmament falling, was the seventh month and the seventeenth day. Now, that's not seven months on the ark. It's five months on the ark, but this is the calendar. The seventh month, the seventeenth day. The number seven is the number of God's completion. 17 is the, the number for victory. <laughs> and 150 days. 100 is the number of the children of promise. And 50 is the Holy Spirit anointing. So, on the 7th month, the 17th day, there was completion for God acting. And there was victory in what he did. He wiped out all life that was perverted. And on the 150th day, what was left, <clears throat> 150th day, what was left, 
the children of promise and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now that's pretty cool. When you just look at what the numbers mean. The gematra. Um, somebody said something to me the other day about isn't that numerology? And I'm going, no, that's, that is um, perversion. That's Satan's perversion of what God did with numbering. It's not numerology. It's called gematra <coughs> in the Hebrew. Gematra. Okay. <clears throat> so at 150 days, the ark rested in the mountains of Ararat. Now they don't really know the name of the mountain. And we don't even know what the earth looked like. But we know that it was probably massively transformed after what happened. But we... But... But archaeologists agree that there is a chain of mountains that run <clears throat> right through Mesopotamia. And they are the chain of the Ararat Mountains, okay? Not just one particular peak or another. So he landed on one of those peaks. Um, it wasn't named Ararat in Noah's day, but they came to be named Ararat, so we have some kind of a geographical idea of where they were. By the time Moses had come along, several thousand years later to write all this down, they've been named, okay? So this was a geographical location of where he, he landed. Um, and we'll talk more about that when we get past the flood here. But he stopped then at 150 days. Um, <clears throat> so let's just kind of go now with the timeline, you know, about where we're going. So he's been on the boat 150 days. Now let's just keep reading. Go back to Genesis 8. Start with verse 4. Here it is, the 150th day. And the ark rested in the seventh month and the seventeenth day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. <clears throat> and the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. Okay. They sat on top of this mountain for <clears throat> a span of two more months and 13 days before you could see the tops of the mountains. And that's not saying much. You figure um, where they think they have found the remains of this ark on, on what they call now Mount Ararat, which is between Turkey and... Um, all right. Anyway, it's right there in, in Turkey, on the Turkish side of Mount Ararat. Um, right there in that spot, if this is right, Noah would have been twelve to 13,000 feet up. So if that gives you any idea. <clears throat> so for two months and 13 days now, Noah and his family sit on Mount Ararat just waiting for the waters to go down so you can see the top of the mountains. So at this point, Noah and his family have been in that ark seven months and 13 days. Okay, seven months and 13 days. Then 40 more days go by. So pick up in verse 6. At the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Okay, these windows evidently were 
about two feet below the top of the ark. And they ran around the top of the boat, or top of the ark. But they had like a clapboard covering over them. And Noah was able to raise the windows, but he hadn't raised them to this point. Finally, he raised those flaps over the windows so they could see out. So now by the time he sees out, they've been on the boat eight months and 23 days. And after eight months and 23 days, he opens a window. Now being a teacher, I always think about it like school. So on the first day of school, all the kids go into the ark. And we shut all the doors and all the windows. And nobody can leave. And for eight months and 23 days, we're all together in that ark without even a window open. Come on. I mean, I'm just going, holy cow. Could you imagine that? It would be April, almost May, before we could open the window with all those kids. Now, instead of having kids, they had animals. But if any of you have ever had a dog or a cat, you know, <laughs> grand dogs, you know, and cows, they count. They are a lot of work. A lot of work. So if you think about it in terms of that, just that alone, uh, being shut up with all those kids for almost nine months without even being open, able to open a window. You couldn't go out and play. You couldn't. I mean, you're just stuck in that ark. That's just amazing to me. I always kind of measure things in school years. You know how that is after a while. You go, let me see. How can I figure that out? But that's what it is. So it was almost nine months, you know, eight months and 23 days. A week short of nine months. All right. <clears throat> so on the 11th month and the 11th day, Noah opens a window. 11th month, I thought you said eight months, 23 days. Okay, this is, all right. They've been in the boat eight months and 23 days, but they didn't get on the boat till the second month the 14th, the 17th day. So, calendar-wise, the date is the 11th month, the 11th day. But the number of months that Noah's been on the boat is 8 months and 23 days. Does that make sense? I should have said that. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the scriptures vacillate between the number of days he's been on the ark and the calendar dates. So, um, we just have to kind of go with the this, but this is the calendar date. Being on the boat for eight months and 23 days, that calendar date is the 11th month, the 11th day. And Noah was finally allowed to open the window. Alright. <clears throat> Back to the scriptures. <clears throat> like November the 11th, if it was our calendar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um... <clears throat> it's getting up on late summer in the Hebrew calendar. And number seven, verse 7. He sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth and he sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters were abated off the face of the ground. Okay. I don't know why in my mind I had always thought it was a, at a separate time that he sent those birds out. But no. On the 11th month and the 11th day, he sent out a raven and a dove at the same time. 
the raven is um, a vulture. You know, it's a bird of prey, so it's going to feed on carrion. So if anything uh, was around that he could eat, he would. He could light on floating flesh and do pretty good, okay? The raven went back and forth. It would land on the top of the ark and then fly out and land back on the top of the ark. The raven never came in. But the dove, who is not a bird of prey, would go out and then come right back in. Um, <clears throat> in the Targum, they call this dove a house dove or a tame dove. I guess you could call it like a carrier pigeon, a dove that's trained to come home. So this dove would come back every day, you know, that it was sent out. It would, it would come back. So that first day, the 11th month, the 11th day, he sent both birds out. Now, the raven didn't come back, but he flew back and forth from the ark and out over the waters. The dove came home. So once the dove came home, back to the scriptures, <clears throat> verse 9, the dove found no rest for the sole of his foot, and she returned unto him in the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her into the ark. And he stayed another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Now the raven's already out flying back and forth. But seven more days go by. Now it's the 11th month, the 18th day, calendar-wise. He sent the dove out again. <clears throat> and he found no rest. The dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked. So Owen, Noah knew the waters were abated from off the earth. But the dove came back. So evidently there isn't dry ground yet. But some of the trees are at least showing. So he waits another seven days. So now it's the 11th month and the 25th day. On the calendar. <clears throat> okay. Here we go again. Verse 12, And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth a dove which returned not again to him anymore. Now you would think, okay, let's open the door. But Noah can't open the door. God sealed it. He's still waiting on God. But he knows that there's dry ground because the dove didn't come back. So after being on the ark nine months and 14 days, Noah and his family actually could see dry ground for the first time. It wasn't all dry, but the, the dove didn't come back. After being on the boat for nine months and 14 days. Now, school is way out. And I don't know about anybody else, but even not being closed in with them, I cannot wait for the ninth month to be over. You know, but here it is. Nine months and 14 days. Nine is the number of divine perfection and 14 is the number of deliverance so Noah's family saw dry ground and actually that date if you if you calculate it out it comes out to be their new year's day which would be the, the first month the first day of the new year of their calendar um 
So what a New Year's that must have been to at least see dry ground after all those days. So it would have been now September, October. They've waited it out. <laughs> One Christian bishop, Bishop Usher, I don't know him, calculated that it was probably October 23rd, 1657. So in the year, one, in, you know, a, a thousand and 1,657 years after Noah was, I mean, after Adam was created, on, in October, the end of October, that's probably when it was. For us, just so you kind of get a picture of when it was. <clears throat> okay. So Noah, instead of just cracking the windows and letting the birds out at that point, he, he pulled down the siding. It says he removed the covering from the windows. Verse 13. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month and the first day of the month, there it is, New Year's, the waters were dried up from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the face of the ground was dry. And they still didn't get off the boat. So now Noah had to wait on God to open the door and set them free. So, on the second month, Marchesvan, which is the same month a year earlier that they went in <laughs> and the 27th day God opened the door and let them out now if you calculate that in days they would have been on that boat 375 days that's a year and 10 days for us on our calendar but 375 days they were on that boat 300 complete divine deliverance 70 universality and 5 is grace so complete divine deliverance universally by the grace of God 375 days and Noah and his family walked off that ark <clears throat> and all the animals with them okay <clears throat> Back to the scriptures. Here we go. Verse 15. And God spoke to Noah saying, Go forth of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives with you. Bring forth with you every living thing that's with you of all flesh, both the fowl and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may, be, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, whatsoever creeps upon the earth after their kind went forth out of the ark. And this is so cool. The very first thing Noah did in the brand new earth. He built an altar to the Lord. And he took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. Long before they had a house, long before they cooked dinner, long before they did anything, he made an altar to the Lord. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, 
and day and night shall not cease. And then on into verse 9. Um, well, let's just stop there a minute. Um, just some thoughts, just some writings. John, I like Clark. He, he's really good. He said, The old world began with fallen men and the sacrifice of innocent animals. And now the new world begins with the sacrifice. The proper mode of worshiping the divine being is the institution of God himself. Sacrifice in the act and design is the essence of worship. Without sacrifice, actually offered or implied, there never was or ever can be true worship. Even in heaven, the Lamb is represented before the throne of God as newly slain. And that is in Revelations 5. The design of sacrificing is twofold. The slaying and burning of the sacrifice point out the mercy of God in his acceptance of a substitute for the life of the worshiper. Um, and the life of the sinner is forfeited to divine justice. And second, his soul deserves the fires of perdition. And therefore, it's, you know, fire on the sacrifice. Because that's what we deserve. The slaying and the fires of hell. That's what we deserve. But the savor of that sacrifice was sweet in God's nostrils. And he, he stayed judgment from the earth. He said, I'll never do that again. Um, the Jewish tradition says that Noah offered a bullock and sheep or lambs and turtles and a dove. I'm going, I got the lamb and the sheep and the bullock, but the turtle, that was a surprise to me. But that was part of it, the turtle. Um, so I have no idea what that was. But they had animals that creep on the earth, animals from the water. The turtle would have come out of the water. I know they can live on the land, but water and land. And then the dove that could fly. Um so, you know, I mean, there's a lot even in that. I didn't ferret out all that's in just the bullock and the lamb and the dove, but all of those are, are part of the nature of Jesus. The bullock is strength, the lamb is that harmlessness, innocence, and the dove is meekness, you know, which, which represents Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. So whatever he offered, it really blessed God's heart. And so God begins this this new covenant with Noah and his sons. Um, okay, five more minutes. Let's just see how far we can go here. Um, start in verse 9. Chapter 9? Yeah, I'm sorry. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now, a lot of things were restored to Noah that were lost from Adam at this point. He gets a fresh blessing, you know. Um, it's the same blessing that God spoke over Adam. But um, he didn't get everything back. And, nothing, and everything was not restored to us until Jesus came. The authority over the enemy was not restored to us until Jesus came. And he destroyed the strongholds of the enemy in the earth. But, but a lot that Adam lost was restored in Noah's new covenant. Um, look at um, 
verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now this next part is interesting because up to this point, there hasn't been uh, a fear of man on animals. Okay? Um, man did have dominion to some extent. Um, some people have said, well, men didn't eat animals. And that's not necessarily true. Um, you have to read creation science to understand it. But um, the fear of animals, uh, of the fear of man was not on animals until after they got off the boat. And even though there was a fear of man on animals and a dread of man, man is, was able to not completely have dominion but could take authority over because we, we do it all the time. You know, we raise all kinds of animals. And uh, it doesn't mean they don't have a fear of man on them. They have an instinct to run from men. But at the same time, we have an ability to sort of tame them. You know, we can bring them into some control. Um, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. But into your hands they are delivered. In other words, there is a dominion that is reinstated, but it's a different relationship. In Adam's time, the, the animals were under Adam's authority and power, but there was no um, relational break there. Um, the animals, you know, it's, it's like um, in Isaiah, when you read in Isaiah 66, you know, the lamb will lie down with the lion and, you know, children will play with the asp and no, not be hurt. That's what it was like in the Garden of Eden. Okay. And the animals did not know the fear of man. Now they know the fear of man, but, but the animals have been delivered into his hands. You know, man can take control over, but not have the same relationship with them. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh, and this is um, flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast. I will require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. This, ought to, this actually should give chills down our backs for what this country is doing with abortion. That one verse right there. Um, by allowing and fighting for abortions, that should send chills down our backs. Um, this is kind of complicated, and I'm going to stop here. We're not going to go much further. But this is a little bit complicated in that, um, well, i tell you what, let's just stop there. Th this is the best place to stop. And um, I'll talk about the animals and our relationship with them and, and um, all that next week. But, it's, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, when you think about this relationship, this is the one we live with. This is, our, this is basically our old covenant covenant. Um, it certainly wasn't Adam's covenant until after Jesus came. But now that's the new covenant. And um, so, yeah, the, these covenants are important and we need to understand them. Okay, today is the 30th. Who knew? 
Okay, we'll pick up here next week. Let me just pray over you real quick. Father, I, I just pray for blessings on every single person in around this table. Um, Lord, I just speak to children and children's children for all of us that we are blessing are going out, blessing are coming in, blessing the city, blessing the country, blessing are lying down, blessing are rising up, Lord, and prospering in the things we set our hands to. And because of that, Lord, I ask that you cause us to be a blessing, that you bring people to our lives that we can minister to this week. And Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to be ready with the word in season and out of season whenever anyone needs a word of wisdom from you Lord that we would be ready with it um, Father we just thank you so much for the privilege of being about the family business in this earth Lord and and uh, we're so thankful that you are willing to use people like us for that and we just give you the praise and the glory thank you Father Amen <laughs>